0: Welcome to Friday and welcome to Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. We're going to get right to our team of journalist super friends and to this week's news. Uh, first, I while you're waiting for that moment, the big moment, you can be clicking. You can go to kuaw.org and you can become a kuaw super friend when you make that financial contribution that I know you've been meaning to make. Because you know that 92% of KUOW's revenue comes from listeners. Here's the phone number, 206-543-9595, or again, KUOW.org. So uh, with that said, thanks again for becoming a member. And thank you to my team of Weekend Review journalists. We've got South Seattle Emerald reporter and co-host of Clapback Culture on Converge Media, Mike Davis. Welcome back to the show. Good to see you again.
1: Thanks for having me, Bill.
0: We've got Fox 13 reporter Jennifer Lee coming back. Jennifer, good to see you again. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: And GeekWire contributing editor and Cairo Radio contributor Mike Lewis. Mike, good to see you again. Thanks for coming on.
3: Always happy to be here, Bill. Uh,
0: So, uh, by the way, you can see the gang because we're live streaming the show. As always, we're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. You just search KUOW Public Radio. Okay, let's get to the news. This just in today... Amazon has union employees, warehouse workers on Staten Island, New York, voted by a big margin to unionize. I saw that the New York Times called it one of the biggest victories for organized labor in a generation that could herald a new era for labor unions in the United States. Uh, GeekWire's Mike Lewis, uh, you're kind of on that uh, Amazon business front. So why, you know, Amazon's huge, but it's one company, one warehouse. Why is this such a big deal, Mike Lewis?
3: Well, it is a big deal. I think that might be overstating it slightly. Okay. We'll see how it goes from here. But the fact is that by a sizable margin, about 523 votes, the Staten Island uh, warehouse workers, uh, fulfillment centers, what Amazon likes to call them, uh, managed to, to form a union. It's a big deal. And we've got a second vote. Remember, there are two big votes happening in Amazon warehouses right now. Neither of them particularly great news for Amazon upper management. The other one's in Bessemer, Alabama. This is the second vote there. The first one was tossed out. Second one happened. Uh, the Amazon union organizing, rather, the union organizing effort that down there is not as successful. It's about 118 votes behind. But there's still uh, um, 400 ballots, I think, that are being challenged. So that one could also swing in unions' favor and against Amazon. But from a standpoint of, of organizing labor, this there's a few hundred thousand. There are 100 and 18 fulfillment centers in the United States, tens of thousands of workers, they're all paying attention to this union organizing effort. You could bet down in Kent, the big fulfillment center here, mm-hmm. uh, they're paying attention there. There's good stories on this in GeekWire with Kurt Schlosser or Karen Weiss and Noam Schreiber in the New York Times have done terrific coverage of this.
0: Karen Weiss, friend of the show. She'll be back on Week in Review soon. Uh, Jennifer Lee or Mike Davis, any reaction or questions about this uh, Amazon union development, the yes vote in Staten Island? Yeah, I think
2: it's going to be interesting just to see the way this evolves um, and just to see if this kind of changes maybe even the culture of working at a warehouse such as Amazon's or any others. Um, Because as we all know, there's such high turnover rates in general. And I think it's been talked about even at these warehouses. I mean, they've been hiring furiously, but we also know that the turnover rate is high. So maybe there will be some changes down the line that could change a little bit of the dynamics. Obviously, this is still very early, so um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very early, but it's still a really big victory. And as Mike Lewis said, I mean, this is representing thousands and thousands, like hundreds of thousands of workers. So, I mean, we'll all have our eye on this and we've seen how hard Amazon has fought against this. So just the fact that they got this victory. We've also seen some victories within Starbucks. I mean, the, the movement is coming and it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess Amazon uh, theoretically could challenge the vote, say there was some union uh, malfeasance or something. They haven't said that, that I know of it, But but we'll watch all of that stuff. As you say, good point, uh, uh, Mike Davis, that we've got the Starbucks unionization votes. So we'll we'll follow it. I just want to make one more Amazon note before we move on to other topics. Um uh, Mike Lewis, you were talking about this the fact that Amazon just parted ways with Seattle Pride. Would you catch us up on what happened there and why?
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, this one was a little bit on the surprising uh, front. So Seattle Pride, and remember, there's a variety of Pride organizations uh, here in, in Seattle. Uh, Seattle Pride has parted ways with Amazon essentially for these reasons. It, Amazon has put uh, an enormous amount of money, political money, Uh, into candidates that are perceived as as uh, anti-gay. And certainly there's candidates that are, that Amazon, I mean, Amazon spreads money around to a variety of people. And there are candidates definitely that would qualify as such, at least from some people's perception of that. And that is, they finally just said, look, Amazon, we are going to vote with our pocketbook the way you do, and we're going to say we don't want you involved. Amazon also put down a fair list of demands. It wanted its branding on virtually everything. It really wanted to to rake in a lot of credibility from being a supporter of Seattle Pride.
0: Although but that's late, not unusual it, for the big for the prime sponsors of any event to to want this kind absolutely of absolutely not,
3: absolutely not. That's a, a visa is everywhere, all over the place, right? So so that's actually not so unusual. But what? They what is unusual is the organization saying you know what maybe you if you spent your money in a manner that we were happier with we would be happy to have your logos everywhere but as it turns out we're not at this point I thought that was a very interesting development here in Seattle especially Amazon's hometown
0: any other reactions
1: I mean it's a it's a strong stance from the event and I think Mike Lewis like you, you pointed out really well. I mean, Amazon behind the scenes, we see where their money goes and we see the type of folks that they support, but then they also on the back end want to get into communities and they'll they'll put money in different places. Some of them I'm going to choose not to speak on, but it's hard for a lot of these more grassroots and on the ground types of organizations to turn away Amazon dollars because there are so many dollars being put in front of them. I've also heard arguments saying things like, well, if Amazon is being asked to do better, when they try to use dollars to support things, we have to allow them to do better. But I mean, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And it's going to take folks like Seattle Pride taking that stand on Amazon and saying, no, we won't take those dollars and put your logo here if you're not going to support us all the way.
3: That's a a great point. Also, I just want to give a shout out to Matt Baum, who did a really terrific job on that story in The Stranger. Um.
0: The Stranger, not here today, will be back uh, soon, regularly. We've got from South Seattle Emerald and Converge Media, we've got Mike Davis, we've got GeekWire's Mike Lewis here, Fox 13's Jennifer Lee, and I'm Bill Radke, you're listening to Week in Review. Other news, today the U.S. House just voted to decriminalize marijuana. Now whether this is going to pass the U.S. Senate, that's unclear. If it happened, though, um, how— i throw it to my panel how you know obviously washington state legalized long ago how would a, a vote like this in congress affect washington state
3: well i'll jump in if uh, <laughs> if no one else mm-hmm. is going to the the i think that the big deal here is less about legalization since it's relatively popular in most states it's really has been i mean states are, are every year another state tips and legalizes it at least from a medical marijuana standpoint if not from a full recreational standpoint the biggest thing i think here the development that we're going to is not going to be as public but i think is going to be as important is access to banking i think when the pot shops actually have access to a banking system the way every other legal business in america does it's going to mean they're not stockpiling cash inside and that stockpiling cash is why these places you've seen in Tacoma, you've seen in Seattle, they get targeted yeah. and in, in sometimes in very violent ways. And I think that this access to regular banking, so you could walk in with your credit card and buy what you want to buy is going to be a game changer for the industry.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. And, and keeping on tune with the dollars, hopefully this opens up, you know, more tax revenues across the board. Right. Hopefully this will lead to folks the more folks having access to the money being made in the recreational marijuana industry in places like Washington. And hopefully like we'll see some restorative justice and we'll see folks who are still sitting in prison, incarcerated on marijuana offenses, have some of those sentences rescinded if we're going to go the route of legalization. Absolutely.
0: uh, That's a good point. And I, again, I don't know. I haven't stayed out. I know the house passed this a couple of years ago. It didn't go anywhere in the U S Senate. Um, And I don't know where the votes are this time. It's a sort of party line, but not really. There's some there's some folks crossing crossing the aisle when it comes to this topic. One more note on marijuana is that um, while here Congress considering decriminalizing marijuana, Washington state is removing it. Well, specifically, we are removing the word marijuana from our state law books. A KOW reporter David Hyde did a great piece about this. I'm going to play you just an excerpt from it. He spoke to the House sponsor of this new Washington law, Tacoma Representative Melanie Morgan, about the arguably pejorative and racist use of the word marijuana.
4: It was the word most people in Mexico used for cannabis. But here in the U.S., the media and government officials turned it against people of color, including Mexican immigrants and jazz musicians. This year, Maine and Virginia also introduced bills that say the word marijuana has to go. Recreational weed is now legal in these states, but arrests and incarceration for drug crimes have hit Black and Latino communities hardest. Morgan says replacing the word marijuana is just one way to create change.
2: This is just another layer of peeling off the systemic racism that's built into
4: our system. But some historians say the evidence doesn't support the narrative driving this change. Isaac Campos is professor of Latin American history who studied the history of weed. The idea that the word marijuana is racist, I just think it's nonsense. Mar- marijuana is just the Mexican word for cannabis, for drug cannabis. Campos says the word marijuana came to America from Mexico. By the 20s and 30s, anti-drug crusaders in America were spreading false claims that smoking weed led to insanity and even death. The 1936 movie Reefer Madness famously repeated this misinformation.
2: Divocity, violence,
4: murder. Anti-drug activists sometimes linked Mexican immigrants and other groups to terrifying tales about smoking cannabis and often used the word marijuana. Then, in 1937, the government outlawed the drug, but... Here's where things get controversial. Campos says the stories about marijuana leading to madness and violence didn't originate in the U.S. They were first printed in Mexican newspapers, and the Mexican government outlawed the drug nearly 20 years before the U.S. did. As immigrants moved north, Campos says many carried negative stories about marijuana with them. And American media reprinted anti-weed stories from the Mexican press. Campos says the story of the word marijuana is a story about the influence of Mexican culture. And he says banning the word erases that history.
0: That is an excerpt of my colleague, KOW reporter David Hyde's piece about the fact that in, this is going to take effect in June. The word Marijuana is stricken from the record in Washington state. Uh, so you can go to KUOW.org and hear all of David's piece. There's a couple of film clips in there from Reefer Madness and from uh, Dazed and Confused as well. Um, I, I'll, I'll throw it to the panel. Mike Davis, I'll start with you. Any opinion about how and whether striking the word marijuana from our law affects anybody, anything?
1: I mean, how are we supposed to, to react to this? They They remove a word like, what does that really do? Who does that really serve? I mean, people that are incarcerated right now are still going to be there with or without this word. I think the move, if you want to address racism in marijuana, then you need to look at fully legalizing it. You need to look at restorative justice. You need to look at the families that were impacted when they had family members be taken out of the home and be incarcerated behind marijuana. You have to look at communities in Seattle, like the Central District, where Black folks for years were incarcerated behind marijuana, and then Uncle Ike's pops up and they've just been selling weed illegally. Like These are real things. There's real legislative change that can go towards addressing systemic racism. Changing The individual word in the laws doesn't do anything for anybody. So no, there's no pats on the back for this. This is purely performative.
0: Any other reaction to no more marijuana officially in Washington? I'm really
2: glad to hear Mike Davis's, you know, thoughts and comments on this. I think it's really important to kind of point out, uh, okay, like, yes, we're taking the words out from the law. um, But I mean, in general, if we're going to be like so focused on the word marijuana, I mean, I think that people are still going to call it marijuana. And like Mike Davis was saying, um, really, it's not going to be having a a change in people's lives um, that have, as a result, you know, just um, had these experiences in life and were oppressed as a result. Um, but I also found it interesting. Um, I really enjoyed reading this article and seeing the video clips because I felt like I was also walking through like history and just seeing the way that it has been portrayed and whether it's like a word or a product or whatever it might be, I think it's people who kind of project what their thoughts are on something. Um, so I think it's also an interesting commentary just to see the way that it's all evolved throughout history.
0: We need to pause there on weekend review. That's Jennifer Lee from Fox 13 and Mike Davis from Converge Media and South Seattle Emerald, Mike Lewis here from GeekWire, and uh, again, uh, the that that piece from David Hydes on KUOW.org. And I don't know if I mentioned, the official word is now cannabis. You can call it weed if you like. You can call it marijuana if you like, but uh, cannabis officially in Washington State. And we're following the news of the week for you, as we do every single week. And it's a chance to highlight our local coverage and also to highlight other great journalism being done. I like to put KUOW in that category, but uh, I would say the same for all of my fellow journalists. This is a chance during the spring membership drive for you to do something you're always talking to KUOW about. You support local journalism and a diversity of local journalism. And that's happening right here at KUOW, where 92% of our revenue comes from you, the listener. This is our membership drive, and here's how you can become a part of it. Become, uh, Join the family here, kuw.org We have a phone number, 206-543-9595. You can join, let's see, Janet in Edmonds wrote in just now to say, I am a 70-plus years old white woman and have been a listener and supporter for decades. I love that KUOW includes so many points of view in their stories and reporting. KUOW helps me to be a more open and accepting person. And Sue in Gig Harbor says, I trust the integrity of the news. I love the shows where I learn about science, economics, psychology, etc. I love the Moth Radio Hour and other creative programs. What do you love about KUOW? What do you depend on KUOW for? What would it be like if KUOW blinked out of existence? Think about that, and for the people who are around you who maybe can't afford to make a donation right now, if you can, go to KUOW.org or pick up the phone, 206-543-9595, and keep this important service sustainable. We'll be right back. It's Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. I'm waving at you, which you can see if you're watching the live stream of the show. We're on YouTube and Facebook. to search KUOW Public Radio. Otherwise, you're just going to have to take my word for it that we have Jennifer Lee here, Fox 13 reporter and GeekWire contributing editor Mike Lewis and South Seattle Emerald and Converge Media's Mike Davis and we're uh, breaking down the news of the week for you. This week, a King County inquest jury unanimously ruled that Seattle Police Department officers' use of deadly force was justifiable when police shot a theft suspect to death in Pioneer Square, and we got the story from KUOW's Amy Radel.
2: The jurors agreed that Demarius Butts robbed a convenience store and refused officers' commands to drop his handgun as he fled. Three officers were injured in the exchange of gunfire. Jurors said Butts's actions presented an imminent risk of death when four SPD officers fired their weapons at him. The jury agreed that Officer Elizabeth Kennedy fired shots that caused Butts's death. They said whether Butts or Kennedy fired first is
0: unknown. Whether Butts or Kennedy fired first is unknown. Mike Davis, that sounds like a major unknown, and uh, this inquest process is, is, is new. It's been revamped, so what, what's your takeaway from all this? What should our takeaway be?
1: Well, I mean, I I do think that it is important to know who shot first because in the inquest, I mean, they're looking at how necessary the use of force was, but also did SPD use de-escalation tactics in a a lot of cases, you know, whether or not they do de-escalation always comes, it's always contested. I think the larger issue is the inquest process In itself and in this case um i think it played out as we'd expect i mean look if you have a case somebody committed a crime you got multiple officers that get shot then of course they're going to find that spd was in was within their rights to use force now should deadly force be used for someone that was stealing snacks from a convenience store i would say no but i would say that this investigation played out as expected If your question is the inquest process in itself and how effective it will be in the future, I would say, let's hold off and let's see what happens in the case of Charlena Lyles. Let's see what happens in a case that isn't as clear cut as suspect commits crime with weapon. We have plenty of cases that we're going to see where SPD killed an unarmed citizen. And let's see if these inquests come out favorable for the public in those particular situations.
0: Mike, can you give us an idea for those who haven't followed this? The This inquest process has been on hold for years. Uh, victims' families tended to complain about an unfair process and the county changed it. It was quite the controversy, though, for for going through that process. What, what should listeners know about basically how this new inquest process is different if you think it's different in an important way?
1: Well, I think the most important way is that This should open up the door to actually get testimony from officers in these cases. So in this case that we're discussing right now, for example, we got direct testimony from SPD in a case where someone was killed. Now, the issue that I have is that. the language says that officers can be compelled to testify. That is very different than saying that police officers are required to testify. And as this whole thing played out in the courts and we saw SPD fighting tooth and nail against this, one of the things that they leaned on the strongest was the idea that in this inquest in front of a jury, Officers could say things that could be used against them. Officers could literally come in, give testimony and incriminate themselves. And if you're a member of the public, I think that our stance should be police officers shouldn't be using unnecessary force. And if you're using unnecessary force, you should be held accountable. So I want to hear directly from the police officers that killed Charlena Lyles. I think that this is going to be a great case to watch. I hope that this is the next inquest that we get. And more importantly, I want to see what happens when officers are being asked to testify in a case where this unarmed woman was murdered in the home with all of her children.
0: Any other questions or reaction to the inquest process? The Demarius Butts—I guess I can't call it a verdict. An inquest is different from a trial. Um, yeah. Any anything more to say?
2: Yeah, I think.
3: Uh, you know, go ahead, go ahead, Mike Lewis. No, I was just going to say that I, I I actually agree not only with what what Mike Davis said. I think that the one of the interesting sub fights that's going to happen here is precisely on that notion of incriminating testimony, being compelled to to testify in an incriminating testimony. If you wanna know what the next big uh, union fight, uh, Police Officers Guild union fight is going to be, it's gonna continue over this particular thing because this is the the sort of the the load bearing pillar in their argument that they don't feel in this sort of an environment that it's good for the officers to be compelled to do uh, or reveal incriminating testimony. I would also say though that this I'm a, I'm a fan of the inquest process I think that that this is the type of information I mean if we look at the what's played out in this case so far this is fundamentally more information than the public gets uh in these circumstances and I think that this is probably not going to be the the And of what we're going to see, I mean, every case as it moves forward, the the Charlene Lyles case in particular, it's going to be very interesting how the inquest process plays out in those cases.
2: Yeah, the whole point of an inquest is to have fact finding. And I agree with both mics here um, that having the account of police officers, especially in a deadly force investigation, is very important. Um, But also in reading uh, the KUOW stories, I also appreciated the changes of, you know, providing counsel to family members to make sure that their voices are also heard. Um, Obviously, going through an inquest process, it's not something um, that these family members want to be going through. It'll never take away the loss of their loved one. Um, But I also got the impression that perhaps some of their deepest questions would also be representative represented, which I think is very important.
0: Thanks, Jennifer. You're listening to Week in Review on KUOW Seattle. I'm Bill Radke and Jennifer Lee's here from Fox 13 and Mike Davis from South Seattle Emerald, Mike Lewis from GeekWire. And we're joining you as we do every Friday. I just got this note from a KUOW listener. This is uh, Camille in Seattle says, thanks as always for everything. I especially like Friday programming. Me too. I think Week in Review is an excellent way to end the week with uh, local journalism here, uh, where I check in with my colleagues who are doing such good work, and together we help you understand the meaning of the week's events. I'm telling you all this because... It is a pledge drive. This is our spring membership drive, and I'm just going to take another moment more before we roll on with the show to remind you that the vast majority, 92% of KUOW's revenue comes from you, the listener. And here's how you do that. It's so quick and easy. Go online, KUOW.org, KUOW.org, big orange donate button, and it's quick. Or you can also pick up the phone, talk to a human at 206-543-9595, 206 543 9595 okay that's it I know you'll want to listen to the news uh, maybe call or click in as you're listening if you get that chance this hour and we'll be right back with more week in review. This is KUOW's Bill Radke, and I couldn't do it by myself. Week in Review this week is Mike Davis from South Seattle Emerald. He's a reporter there and the co-host of Clapback Culture on Converge Media. And we have GeekWire contributing editor and radio contributor to Cairo Radio, Mike Lewis, and Fox 13 reporter Jennifer Lee. And all of it is visualized in uh, little boxes on your screen because we're live streaming the show. You just go to... um, Facebook or YouTube, and you search K U W Public Radio. Okay, what we do on Fridays is figure out what happened this week and, uh, and what it means to you, what you can take away from it. And of course, fighting is continuing in Ukraine today. I saw Russia accusing Ukrainians of a cross-border attack, a helicopter attack, and we'll of course have continuing coverage of so-called peace talks and evacuations and all of that all through the day and the weekend. Uh, this week, Jennifer, I saw that you went to a Polish school in Bellevue where they were collecting donations for Ukrainian refugees, and one of the parents there, Joanna Milik, said she wants her teenage daughter to understand the importance of helping others.
1: If we don't
3: do anything, if we don't speak up, if we don't show up, if we don't take action, then we allow it to happen. What gives me hope is knowing that there's more of us people of goodwill than those we not. And that's why I strongly believe
2: we'll prevail.
0: That's from Fox 13 reporter Jennifer Lee. What are they collecting?
2: Well, they're collecting all kinds of really medical supplies. And um, while you know, they're happy to have this fundraising effort going on, the principal of the school did note that it was pretty heartbreaking to be collecting, you know, trauma kits, first aid kits, bandages, um, antibiotic ointments, things of that nature.
0: Yeah. Uh, collecting donations for the ukrainian association of washington um and and we were talking before the show about uh about assistance and compassion and where it goes and doesn't go mike davis uh, you were you were bringing this issue up of a of a, of a recent incident on the the us mexico the texas border
1: yeah and and i i do want to say i mean look it's not it's not the oppression olympics we're not i'm not trying to do this or that i'm just saying we have the capacity to help everyone. We want to step up and help the folks in Ukraine. Then absolutely, we should do so. We see those images. But I just I can't forget the images that I just seen a few months ago of those Haitian refugees being approached by U.S. Border Patrol with whips, with like literally whips being driven back to the border. I can't ignore what happens to the people from South America or Mexico or those countries below the border who try to come up and, you know, they're having their women be sterilized or they're being put in detention camps. And we had images of folks being separated from their families. Like it it just it's really shocking to see how black and brown immigrants are treated in America versus how we are approaching this situation in Ukraine. So should we be helping the Ukrainians? Absolutely. But there are also a lot of other people that need the U.S.'s help. And we turn our back on those people in some of the most horrific and inhumane ways.
0: I know some last I saw, maybe 12000 of those Haitian people were allowed into the U.S. to have their asylum requests um, evaluated. But I I haven't followed up. I don't I don't know what the what that process and what that approval process is going to be like.
1: That's true. And and let's just say, though, that that's twelve thousand people who are going to maybe or maybe not be approved. But we also have reports that one hundred thousand Ukrainian refugees are going to come here and our country is going to offer them a billion dollars in aid. So in this time where we're seeing homelessness rampant across the nation, In America, when we're seeing eviction moratoriums end and folks being kicked out of their homes, we just have reports that the U.S. government doesn't have any more money to help with COVID testing or anything COVID related. And we're seeing inflation at our grocery stores. We're seeing our gas prices soar through the roof. All of these things that are happening right here at home. And we're going to send a billion dollars to Ukraine. It just it really just doesn't add up as an American citizen right now.
0: Ah, I guess the u s. did open our borders to uh, Cubans when Russia backed Fidel Castro. You just need to get in on the Cold War, apparently to, uh, to get that kind of attention. Any other reaction, questions, observations on uh, on Jennifer's story about uh, refugee assistance?
3: Uh, it was a terrific story, and I think that that Michael's point is is really well taken. We can mobilize with emergency money for the things we choose to, right? And we can also not mobilize. I mean, a decision to not do something is a decision as well. And I think that his point about what we choose to, where we choose to put our money and where we choose to not, and where we choose to open our borders and where we choose not to is is pretty telling. Uh, in if you look at it closely, what we, the immigrants we Tend to make it more difficult for and the ones we tend to make it easier for and i do understand the distinction between regular immigration and wartime situation but nonetheless i think his points are well taken
0: we did to check in with our community feedback club you could you, by the way if you're interested in being part of that go to slash feedback because we asked people have you been compelled to help ukrainian refugees what are you doing what about refugees from other places Andrea from Vashon Island says I've donated money to World Central Kitchen, Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, Seattle Jewish Federation in support of Ukraine and help coordinate support for the household needs of Afghan refugees being resettled in South King County. Donna in Snohomish says I've befriended a family I met via eBay and have been trying to raise funds to send. Uh, I don't know much about eBay, but uh, those words make me wary. But uh, but anyway, good, you know. Good, good luck. I hope you can help somebody. Aslan says, when the Bosnian war was happening, I helped out refugees. It was an unforgettable forgettable experience. I was put out, though, that some helped but imposed their religious beliefs on those at severe disadvantage. So I stopped because it was too disheartening to see some people helping only to fulfill some selfish or self-righteous motives. I'm trying to get involved with Afghan refugees, says Aslan. Still wary on COVID, and let's not forget those from Central America. They are refugees for a reason. We are all refugees. Basically everyone in the U.S. except Native Americans are refugees, says Aslan. And two more comments. Stephen Kent says, yes, we'll help with Ukrainian refugees. We're also helping with Afghanistan refugees, helping buy things for their apartments, cleaning supplies, bed, bedding, tables, chairs, cooking supplies dinnerware. You can way, find ways to serve by going to JustServe.org. And finally, Jonathan in Bellingham says, I volunteer with World Relief in Whatcom County. They just opened a new office this year. All our refugees so far have been from Afghanistan. It's been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. We love refugees. They make our community stronger. Uh, some of the feedback uh, from our community is Community Feedback Club. And you can sign up. Go to KUOW.org feedback. Now, of course, there are refugees who cannot just uh, evacuate and apply for asylum themselves, and those are the children who need care. One of the people trying to provide some of that care is a former Washington state legislator whose wife was born in Ukraine and who also was found to have participated in domestic terrorism. Now, Jennifer, I don't think you have personally reported on Uh, Spokane area's uh, Matt Shea and these 62 children. Uh, You've just read accounts, as have I. Will you just catch us up on on what you know, what this story is?
2: Yeah. um, So it sounds like the former state representative, Matt Shea, from Spokane, went and traveled to Poland and Ukraine, and he actually helped evacuate over 60 children who were orphans. Four of those, allegedly he was in the process of adopting um, and brought them to Warsaw, I believe, um, in Poland. And basically, it sounds like there are some uh, questionable actions happening at this time. It even went up to the family court level in Poland. Um, Basically, uh, right now, Ukraine is not letting any of the children be adopted. They're orphans. Um, everything is at a halt. We've talked to other, you know, local families in the area who are, you know, heartbroken, not knowing if their children are safe. So, um, it sounds like once he got to Poland, there was there was a uh, volunteers who were Polish who tried to go see the children, and apparently, the former representative did not let let them go see the children. Got combative and aggressive. Um, And basically it went on to the court level that ultimately decided that the children would be under the custody of the Polish representative, um, as well as the Ukrainian director of that orphanage right now. So it just sounds like it's a really big mess. And I think there was also concern once they realized some of his uh, uh, previous history of being in the, the far right.
0: Right, right. And he, he had written this um, manifesto called Biblical Basis for War. And um, also in a state investigation, Matt Shea was found to have planned and participated in domestic terrorism, including his role in that armed seizure of the Malheur a national wildlife refuge in Oregon back in 2016. So, thank you for that rundown Jennifer. The this this city in Poland is saying they're considering investigating Shay's actions. I don't know have, have any personal, you know, I'm sort of passing on accounts from other journalists and um and and can't speak one way or the other about Matt Shea's actions, but Uh, It's getting a lot of attention, uh, of course, here in Washington state and and there in parts of Poland. Um, Any other anything else to say for now on? uh, Of course, we'll talk about Ukraine again, uh, again and again. But any any more thoughts on uh, the war there or the refugee situation or assistance? feel we covered it. Okay. I. uh, I, Yes, yes, Mike, Lewis.
3: One one thing to quickly add, it's. The it's not this the issue isn't limited to to Matt Shea right I mean there are yes. three four hundred kids in the process of adoptions that have stopped as a result of the result of the war and so there's going to be a lot of coverage of this I think moving ahead uh, especially at the state level because a lot of these folks. Uh, who are not Matt Shea went through the process fairly deep in the process. The spokesman review, oddly enough, has been doing in Spokane has been doing a lot of coverage on this. They are now trapped in this limbo, and it's the families hard on the families, but I would imagine as well, uh, particularly hard on the kids, mm-hmm. many of whom are in Poland now.
0: Right, and 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 these people in Ukraine have said not all these kids are 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 orphans. You know, and exactly and, and, and without parents. Exactly, yeah. Thank you for shouting out to Spokesman Review. I should say that that's also uh, where I was reading about this this issue. One more item on on um, since we're talking about U.S. assistance to Ukraine, I I wanted to to tell you about assistance, pandemic assistance here in Washington State, and this was you, Jennifer, you're reporting on the fact that our state says it gave some people excessive unemployment benefits, and then the state wants and is taking its money back? What's going on?
2: Yeah, apparently it started out with, with tens of thousands of people, so pandemic unemployment assistance. Um, obviously, there were so many people in need, um, but a lot of these people thought you know they were clear, they got the money, they thought they were covered, um, and then basically over a year later, in some cases a year and a half later, they received notices saying that they were overpaid and that their balance was in the thousands to tens of thousands. Um, these are figures that are also accruing interest. Um, so a lot of people were just totally blindsided. They, owe the um, state interest. they, they,
0: they It's accruing. The, the state overpaid them and they owe the state the money plus interest.
2: Yeah. It's like a, a figure that's like one or 2% is what I'm hearing because oh. it seems to be changing. And. Really, it's kind of hard to like understand because every person, at least that I've talked to, their situation is different. For example, in one woman's case, she said that she owed thirty eight thousand dollars, and she was notified back in the fall. Um, and then, when I recently interviewed her a couple weeks ago, she actually told me that figure went down to thirty five thousand. She doesn't know why, um, but in most of these cases. Um, So ESD is saying if you submit the proper documentation, that's really all it takes to kind of clear the balance. And um, now I believe it's in the thousands that, you know, people still have these like remaining balances. Um, But it's really like unclear. I think it it sounds like everyone should probably appeal it. Um, One man told me he even called the governor's office and the person who answered the phone was like, don't pay it Mm. Um, Go through the appeal process. So. Um, there are different avenues you can take, but I mean, some people just have this balance hovering over their heads for months and still kind of waiting to see when their appeal hearing would, would be taking place.
0: Is there any chance, is it just individual then? You, it has to be because you get back to this thing of what kind of resources you have and how good you are at being able to navigate the system. Is there, any, is there anyone advocating for the state to do some kind of amnesty?
2: Yeah, there is a group called Working Washington that has been trying to collectively um, bring people together um, and ask for a blanket waiver, uh, so that they're requesting ESD just waive everyone who has outstanding overpayment balances right now.
0: Okay, so if you're told that you you got too much in benefits, depends depends on on I guess how you roll. You could um, immediately. Uh, jump on that and pay it back you could um, you could wait right the this the person from governor's office uh, allegedly apparently said uh, don't pay it and you could appeal the state and maybe the state will change its mind that's um quite a system any reaction from uh, Mike Lewis or Mike Davis to uh, state overpayment employment security Department overpayments
1: that was
3: excellent I don't oh go ahead go yeah. ahead Mike no, no, I just don't even know where to start on this one. This is one of those things that just gets me so riled up. The state was did had such an abysmal performance getting people the money that they needed. Let's we can set aside the six hundred million dollar hack of the system uh, with because they had outdated security software. But let's just get into the fact that the state was unable to release payments to people for months and months and months, and then finally release some payments to people i mean perhaps maybe what the state should do is just ask the people who it's now trying to claw back money from to just send it to the people who never got any because it was it was the employment security department's performance through this whole and i'm not blaming the individual line workers cuz i don't think it's them the leadership was uh, was lacking uh, severely lacking if not abysmal uh, in the in the distribution of money remember how many people the tens of thousands of people who didn't get any money all the way through the process for months. These are people with mortgage payments, these are people with rent payments, with food, with tuition to pay, and the state couldn't seem to get away from itself enough to distribute the money. And now it's trying to claw back money from the overpayment. Simply handle it in a in a fair fashion. If these people were overpaid, they should have to pay it back. But claw it back in a in a in a manner that allows people to make reasonable payments and the adding interest on a state mistake seems pretty unfair.
1: It seems extremely, extremely unfair. And you made great points about all of these missteps. And, you know, the government is a huge machine, so it's not the individual workers, it's the system itself. But it's jarring that in this system that delayed those payments, that made all of these clear cut mistakes on the back end, they're sending out immediate requests for Thirty-eight
3: thousand, exactly. exactly. Like, how could
1: that? These are the people that needed the assistance the most. These people aren't going to have that in a lump sum. How could you ask for that? And then the idea of charging interest on a mistake that you made—I mean, it's just ridiculous. But it was excellent reporting. Hearing those stories directly from those people was definitely impactful. That was a great read.
0: Well, thanks. I, I was—I was feeling uh, gloomy uh, there, and. Uh, good point about uh, Jennifer Lee. That's why we bring reporters like you all together and, uh, and convene our local journalists and figure out what happened this week every Friday. Uh, is there anything that we're getting toward the end of the show here um, and, of course, I want to say uh, that we're doing a fundraiser. Not you. I, KUOW, is doing a fundraiser here, reminding you to donate online, KUOW.org. Um But it's time to end on a hopeful note. Or did anything happen this week that uh, give you, gave you a lift, a smile, and you want to pass it on to our listeners? I hope something. <laughs>
3: I'll say something, but unfortunately, because I'm a journalist, I can't offer any sunshine without a little bit of cloud in the horizon.
0: yeah, we are um, we're built that way.
3: <laughs> I, I you know, actually what gave me a little bit of a lift uh, is that the the United States qualified for the World Cup. So I'm kind of happy about that. I love the World Cup. Weirdly enough, here's the cloud on the horizon. I'm probably <laughs> going to be boycotting this one uh, personally and in in the in the establishment that I own just because, yeah, this, this is a bar. You're talking about issue, the which is which is a which is a uh, it's another topic for another time. But sorry, even Mike, so, Mike Lewis, a I think I fan, talked. To, I'm sorry,
0: fan. I'm sorry. This is a this is a Zoom thing. I wanted when you said establishment, I wanted to tell the listeners you're talking about the bar oh, that you co-own. Yeah, and I don't know if people heard what issue you're talking about. So please continue.
3: Oh, sorry, sorry. It, it, the the issue with the labor that is required to build a venue, venues for a World Cup. Uh, Qatar or Qatar, the the comp- country that's hosting this one, as credible uh, accusations from Amnesty International on down of thousands of workers who died on on the construction projects, of people having their passports confiscated, blah blah blah. Mm. It, it's it's on. And I didn't want to sort of take the here's the the clouds I bring into it. Uh-huh. I'm thrilled about the U.S. qualified the World Cup. I love the World Cup. I'm a little bummed about the backdrop to the World Cup this year. So there's my sunshine and there's the rainstorm following <laughs> it.
0: I, I follow a little bit. Is it didn't, did the men fail? The women always qualify, but the men didn't qualify this last time. Am I? Exactly. It
3: exactly. Okay, we, good. we, we managed to, to play pretty poorly last time and this yeah. time, we've got, we've got quite a team. I think that they're going to do. Okay. Except
0: <laughs> I won't be watching again. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anybody else get a, a, a goal kick this week?
2: So it's, uh, April Fool's day and, yeah. uh, just today, uh seeing some pretty hilarious posts from people on social media, and one of them is from Cafe Vita. You should mm-hmm. go check it out because they have a new line of caffeinated baby food really? that they're calling Baby Buzz. Mm-hmm. So anyone with babies who, you know, you want to kind of like have a, a very specific nap schedule, they say Baby Buzz <laughs> is the way to do it.
0: Yes, babies can be sluggish uh in the morning, you know, <laughs> until... Until they get to Joe, I we've all been there. Um, Mike Davis, anything? Make
1: babies sleep less. That is an interesting <laughs> idea.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I had a smile,
1: man. My my daughter's school, man. They did a children's march, and they like let the kids all decide what they wanted to march for, and it was a super cool scene. How many kids are paying attention to the situation in Ukraine, and how many of the kids are against Russia? I'm like, okay, kids, yeah, stand up for for peace and nonviolence. That was great to see.
0: My kids also participated in a, uh, I I don't usually pass on my own opinions, but this is my kids. I'll speak for them that they had a chance to um, participate in a student walkout about some school bills uh, being passed around the country, and they wanted my opinion, uh, you know, dad, am I allowed to walk out of class to say what I think about this legislation in another state regarding schools, and I said, um, I trust you to make a good decision. I just want you to read a news article. All you know is a moniker, is like a nickname for this bill and, and, and what your friends have told you, and that's okay, but, but just educate yourself about the what people say are the pros and cons of this issue and then you decide and then and decide to walk whether to walk out and they and they did and they participated and yeah they felt there was a little that was the first thing sometimes i'll i'll ask them how was school and i get a one word grunt you know but this was something where they were happy to talk about uh, what they decided to do at school that day
1: Youth are engaged. It's great to see.
0: Youth are engaged. Um, here's some that I, I I don't know. You tell me whether this is whether I should smile about this or not. But I did you see that you can't ride your bike around Green Lake anymore? Um, you. This is we talked. Kow talked with the a Parks Department spokesperson uh, uh, Rachel Shulkin. We
4: get a steady stream of people reporting near collisions or collisions or just the feeling of unease with how much use there is on this path and how difficult it is for people to navigate it safely.
0: So bikers can no longer ride along the inner loop by uh, closest to the lake, the inside track. You can still you could still use a stroller. You can use a wheelchair, just not a bicycle. And if your stroller or wheelchair is if you're super fast in that thing, um, you know, take it easy on the pedestrians. There's a no wheels policy otherwise staying in place until at least June. And then the public can uh, submit what they say. I guess they are redesigning the outer loop of the of the park to cater to bikes. And that's not going to start building until this summer. And some cycling advocates are saying this is this pipe. I mean, Green Lake cycling around Green Lake has been something that's happened for generations. And uh, and they're not pleased. Any opinion about the Green Lake loop? It This goes to kids. Crazy. So, so our
1: kids, we can't, we can't put tricycles on the loop either?
0: Good question. What about tricycles? I, my guess is that they're going to give tricycles a pass, but who knows?
1: Okay. I don't want my kid getting a ticket. I'm going to be upset.
0: <laughs> you need to know. Uh, okay. Um, that's it. Uh, that's it for Week in Review. And and those are some things to think about and to smile about. I want to say thanks to my to my team, the, the group that uh, brings you – we can review every week. That's our producer, Kevin Kinistet. And we've got live streaming and social media support from KOW's Tio Popescu and Juan Pablo Chiquiza. And uh, this week, I want to thank GeekWire contributing editor and Cairo radio contributor, Mike Lewis, Fox 13 reporter, Jennifer Lee, and South Seattle Emerald reporter and co host of Clapback Culture on Converge Media. Mike Davis. It's been great to see you all and thanks for the thanks for the information and the and and the observation. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having us, Bill. Appreciate Always a wonderful time. I appreciate you. This is KUOW Seattle, KUOW Tumwater, and KQOW Bellingham, Seattle's NPR News Station. And we are just about to return to more news on KUOW because I know that's what you're here for. Jennifer mentioned that it is April Fool's today. If I were gonna pull an April Fool's prank on you, I would tell you that KUOW gets 9.2% of our revenue from our listeners. Because that would be hilarious because I would, I would have changed the decimal point. It's actually 92% of KUOW's revenue comes from you, the listener. In other words, KUOW is an excellent service because of other people having contributed in the past. What about you? You can pick up the phone now, go to 206-543-9595, or donate online at KUOW.org, the big, big orange donate button. And you can tell your smart speaker, donate to KOW." I don't know if you're someone who says please to your smart speaker or not. Either way, you can be helped toward a donation there. Thank you to everyone who has contributed. Thank you for contributing once you get a chance. And we appreciate your support of public radio in the Puget Sound region.